Well, I'd like to start our time together with uh, what I call a little project, an opening question, if you will, that I would like for you to reflect upon. And the question, simply put, is what is worship? If our theme for the day is engage worship, what is worship? And if you're like me, I tend to answer that question by, by naming all of the things that we do under the umbrella of worship. And so I would say that worship is the 16 and a half minutes that I'm here on a Sunday morning that we sing four songs, and that's worship. Or maybe worship is the Wednesday morning when I decide to tune my radio to Christian music opposed to Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday when I listen to sports radio. And so, you know, that's, the, that's kind of a moment of worship. And we feel pretty confident in our understanding of worship by the activities that we do connected to worship. And let me be the first to say there's nothing wrong with those definitions. If that's how you would have answered that question, give yourself a pat on the back. Those are good, accurate answers. But I want us to take another topic. And I want us to look at it through the same filter. What if I were to say, tell me what love is? What is love? How confident do you feel in these answers? Do you feel like these answers really adequately describe what love is? Love is when somebody buys me flowers on Valentine's Day. Love is when someone pays for my dinner. Love is when someone takes out the garbage. Now, those are loving things to do, but I would venture to say that most of us probably don't sell, say the telltale sign that I know someone loves me is if they buy me a bouquet of roses from Kroger on February the 14th. That's it. That is how I know, the creme de la creme, I am loved if I get overpriced flowers on Valentine's Day. Again, nothing wrong with those. I would venture to say that most of us probably say if somebody wants to take out the garbage, that is an act of love. And I appreciate that, but you also would probably quickly say, but that's not all. That's an expression of love, but we're missing something on the heart level. We're missing something on the commitment level. We're missing something on a deeper level. And when it comes to worship, the same can be said. Because if our answer to the question of what is worship is just a running list of all the things that we do, Sometimes we sing hymns, and sometimes we sing songs that I don't know the words to, and sometimes we sing songs or sometimes someone has a spoken word or whatever the case might be. All of those are worship. But is it entirely possible that God says to be a worshiper is even deeper than just someone who comes to church and sings a song? So what does it mean to worship? What is worship? Well, to answer that question, we go to the book of Romans. Go to the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. And Romans chapter 12 really gives us kind of one of the clearest biblical teachings on what it means to live a life of worship. And listen to what Paul says to the church. He says, Therefore I urge you, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, say it with me, worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So if I were to ask you that opening question again, what is worship? And you take it back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you see that we get an answer. Because he says in verse 1, this is true and proper worship. I mean, he gives us that statement. So to say that this is true and proper worship, what I need to find is what immediately precedes that. Because whatever immediately precedes that is the clause that connects it up to this is true and proper worship. What immediately precedes that? Paul says, if you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is worship. So worship is not just 
what I do in this place, but that worship is me offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. Put another way, worship is me offering myself to God when I'm alive. It's me offering myself to God 24-7, 365 days a year. Now, when are you alive? Right now. Congratulations. You know, there's blood pumping through your veins, and so being in this place is an act of worship. And being here, you're worshiping. But you were also alive on Tuesday at 3.30. Now, in full disclosure, Tuesdays at 3.30 on a holiday weekend, that's a four, kind of five days of work pushed into four days, and you've kind of got that fog of the post-Labor Day coming back to work at 3.30 on Tuesday. I did not feel very alive. I felt very much like, oh, I mean, I hate afternoons on a normal day, so especially on that kind of day. But even though I didn't feel alive, I was alive. On Thursday at 10.45, maybe you were in a meeting that you didn't want to be in. In that moment, maybe there was some conflict that you were addressing. Did you look at that moment as a moment to grow in worship, or was that just a moment that you couldn't help but try to speed through? Because when I go back to the text, what we begin to see is what we can learn about worship. And you see it here on your notes is that we worship through song. Absolutely. We worship through song, but worship is more than a song. We worship through song, but worship is so much more than a song. Because what are songs? These songs that we sing in this place, those are expressions of worship. Those are acts of worship. But it's not the totality of what it means to live a life of worship, to be a worshiper at all times. Now, Jesus addressed this. And if you go to John chapter 4, what you're going to see is that Jesus was referencing or speaking to, I should say, spiritual leaders. He was speaking to religious leaders, and one of the things that had caught them up is that they thought that you could only worship in one specific place, in one specific location, at one specific time. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 24. He says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Well, to worship in spirit means that worship isn't bound to four walls meaning that it's not just about one location, it's not just about one place, but that you can worship anywhere, everywhere, all the time. And that worship, who is the audience of worship? It's God. And my worship is about, is about manifesting the truth of God. So worship then truly is a lifestyle. It's me being cognizant at all times, aware of what God has done for me at all times. And according to Romans chapter 12, it's me offering myself sacrificially to God when I'm alive. No matter how much I feel like it, no matter how much I don't feel like it, no matter how I'm surrounded, if I'm surrounded by other brothers and sisters in Christ like I am in this place, or maybe I'm in a place that's a little more, um, you know, a little bit more challenging or a little bit more difficult culturally for me to live out my faith. Regardless of that, Paul says to be a worshiper is somebody who worships at all times, offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So we worship through song, but it's more than just song. So what also does this mean? It means, as you see this here in your notes, it means then that worship then is an active response to God's mercy, opposed to a passive performance that you observe. Worship is an active response to God's mercy, not a passive performance that you observe not a passive performance that I observe. Now, I will say, <clears throat> I like to go observe performances on a very passive level. I love events. I love to go to concerts. I love to go to sporting events. I like to go to Little League baseball games. I like to go to the animal exhibits at the zoo when the animal keepers come and do their shows with the seals. 
I like that. I like to go to the theater. I like to go to the symphony. I like to go to festivals. I did two of those things yesterday. I went to a festival last night and a Little League baseball game yesterday at noon. But I will say, I have never gone to a Titans game, for example, and been called out of the stands to come and help the team. It's never happened. They got a game here in about 30 minutes. I would be late, but if I go and show up late, I don't think they're going to hone in on me with the camera and be like, hey, you, we need you. Come on out to the field. I don't show up at the symphony and think to myself, you know what, I bet I could play the trumpet better than that guy. They don't call me up. What am I in those moments? I'm a passionate observer. I'm passively enjoying the moment. I'm engaged with what's happening, but in the truest sense, I am a passive observer. I am receiving. And sometimes I think a lot of us tend to think about worship in those same terms. Instead of thinking about worship as something I actively engage with, sometimes we think about it from a very passionate, passive perspective. And it's easy for us sometimes to come into a place like this, and maybe we're running a little bit late, and we're excited that the church has coffee and provides coffee. Because I was running late, I didn't have time to make coffee myself or to swing through a drive through and get one. And from a musical perspective, what happens up here on this stage is awesome, isn't it? The voices and the instrumentation and the graphics, and it's all so refreshing, and I love it, and I soak it up, and it's all so good. But if we're not careful, we can view this as a performance. This isn't a performance. Worship is a lifestyle, meaning it's active meaning I have to be responsive to what Paul says is the mercy of God. I don't just passively receive, but I actively respond. In fact, he says in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice unto God. So worship is a response to the mercy of God. What are the mercies of God in my life? Well, how much time do you have today? The mercies of God is that he showed me grace when I didn't deserve it. The mercies of God is that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to take up on a cross to die for the sins of all humanity, including little old me. And he conquered death after being taken off that cross to show us that he can conquer anything in our life and that he can securely, we can be secure in knowing that we spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you don't have that assurance and you've never given control of your life to Jesus, I promise you the best act of worship you can follow suit with this morning is to say, I want to let go of control of my life and I want to ask God to forgive me and, and place my control in his life. And I promise you, according to scripture, there is much rejoicing in heaven. There's much worship in heaven as someone makes a decision to follow Jesus. And so you and I, in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We seek to live a life of worship. But if you go back to the Old Testament, you're going to see how God even instructed his people to worship there. Because you may or may not know this, but back in the Old Testament, there God would, would meet with his people in the tabernacle. It was a physical structure that they would build. We did a study on the tabernacle several or a couple years ago, actually. And in that tabernacle, which was really elaborate, God would come and he would meet with his people. Was this a physical place? Yes, it was a physical place that God would come and meet with his people. But go with me to 1 Chronicles 16, 29 and 30. You can read it up here on the screen because even though worship was confined to that physical space, I want you to look at the instructions. Look at the instructions that God gave the people. He says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Did you catch it? Even though it happened in a place, what did God say? God said, bring me an offering. He didn't say come passively just to receive. 
He said, but I want you to come prepared. I want you to come active. I want you to bring me an offering because you're not a spectator. You're a worshiper. You're not a spectator. And who you are worshiping in that moment is the splendor of the Lord. You're worshiping the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Well, what does that mean? You see up here on the screen, it means that worship then is about seeking to please God through everything I do. That worship's not just a song. It's not me just singing up here, but it's saying I want to please God with everything in my life. Because Psalm 145.3 says that great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. That's who I'm seeking to please. Pleasing the Lord because he is good. He is worthy of praise. And his greatness no human can even fathom. That's why I worship and my life is to be lived as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to God. Now, these expressions of worship through song that we sing here on Sunday morning and that we'll sing a little bit more of before you leave today, they are intended to give us glimpses of what it means to worship Him, but they're also intended to equip us to live a life of worship once we leave this building. It's my intentional and active decision to be a worshiper every morning when I wake up. And when I do that, what I'm doing is I'm positioning myself to say, I want to please God through everything that I do this day. I want to please God through every word that I say. I want to please God through every action. I want to please God with every way that I spend my money. And if I do that, and if I start my day with that posture, often what happens is God's going to bring to mind some things that need to change in my life. He's probably going to bring to mind some things that I have been holding too much control over and that he wants to have control over. True worship is just as much about me up here singing, um, our God is an awesome God. True worship is just as much about that as it is me having the wherewithal to know that maybe my schedule is off kilter and I need to reevaluate my schedule to get some margin in my schedule so that the things of God don't take a second place in my life. That's worship, and that worship is just as important as this worship. Worship is me responding in song and hearing music. It's a beautiful act of worship. But worship is also me intentionally making a decision to say, you know what, I want to control my finances and I want to live our life in a way so that we don't have to just try to keep up with the Joneses all the time. Now, the poor Joneses, whoever they are, if your last name is Jones, I'm sorry. I feel like we need to pick another name. I mean, we have offended Joneses throughout the history of humanity. But worship is realizing that I don't have to try to keep up with everybody else that I can be solidly who it is that God has called me to be. Worship is also me responding to needs in the world. Worship is me saying, God, I need forgiveness for things that I have done in my life. Or maybe there's something that I've contributed to. Or maybe there's an attitude that I have had. When's the last time you thought about that a beautiful act of worship is to say, God, forgive me for an attitude that I had that's not of you? That's worship. Because you're seeking to please God through everything that you do. This morning, we want to give you a chance to respond to that. And on your worship guide, there was a little post-it note that was attached to that guide. And, and the, the question on that card is simply, this week I will worship by. This week I will worship by. Fill in the blank. What is it this week that you will worship by? What is it that God's asking you to to, to potentially reevaluate your life around. And maybe it's something that God wants you to change. Or maybe it's something that God wants to, to, to maybe bring more clarity. Or maybe it's just saying, you know what, I'm going to intentionally engage with God this week in a way that I never have before. And that's going to be my act of worship. Or 
maybe there's some pain or there's some brokenness or there's some sin in your life right now. And one of the ways that God wants you to respond to that is he wants you to give that to him and allow those hurts and allow those habits and allow those struggles and allow those sins to be redeemed by him. It's a beautiful act of worship. In fact, one of the greatest worship songs of all time, probably undoubtedly the most well-known song of all time that we would sing in worship. It came from a writer who was in place, a place in his life where he was realizing that his life was not in alignment with what God desired. And because his life wasn't in alignment with what God desired, he decided to make some changes. So maybe you relate to this. Some of our deepest, most passionate worship actually comes out of broken places. It comes out of the broken places in our life. And as we begin to see the depth of our own sin and our own struggles, then we begin to understand just how much God truly loves us. And we realize that not because we deserve it, but we realize it in spite of all the reasons that we don't deserve it. And that is grace. And that grace is amazing. And that's the story behind one of our most beloved hymns. See, years before he became a pastor and years before his conversion to Christ, John Newton was a slave trader. And for several years, he served as the first mate and then the captain on multiple slave trading voyages to the West Indies and to North Africa. And after his retirement, he continued to invest money in slave operations for years. But as time went on, John Newton began to see more clearly just how evil this industry really was and how vile his own active participation was. And he was so plagued by regret that this is what he wrote, and I quote, It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. But that confession, he believed, came too late So instead of wallowing in his regret, this is what he decided to do. He joined the abolitionist movement in Great Britain as a pastor and an ally of William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce led the legal fight against the African slave trade. And in 1772, nearly 20 years after he retired from the slave trade, John Newton, along with poet and fellow hymn writer William Kuyper, they penned the following lines. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And see, for John Newton and for William Kuyper, these words are a beautiful reminder that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. And that their moment of response and worship was to not wallow in the regret and wallow in the guilt, but to live in the amazing grace of Jesus Christ.
for John Newton and William Kuyper. Their worship was a response to brokenness. And their worship was a response to guilt that was covered with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Their worship was a response to things that they had contributed to that they were not proud of. And perhaps God yearns to make you the same kind of worship leader. Maybe God yearns to do that in your life, to potentially rescue something in your life that is a moment of brokenness and you want to surrender that to him. And when you surrender that to him, then a beautiful quote-unquote song of worship starts being lived with your life and being lived with your story. Because when we surrender ourselves to him, when we surrender ourselves to him in worship, what happens? What actually happens in our life? We'll go back to the text, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Because Paul says, do not be conformed any more than to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So did you catch that? What, what happens in our life when we worship? When we grow in worship and we don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, what happens is that worship yields direction. Worship yields direction in our life. Worship is a beautiful flashlight that illuminates sometimes the darkest areas of our life. Through God's word and worship, the path before us is, is, is brought into full picture. Because see, a true worshiper doesn't look to the world to be transformed. She doesn't look to the world for meaning. He doesn't look to the world for direction. True worshipers, they don't let the world be what they conform to, but rather they say, I want my mind to be transformed, to be more and more like him, and I want to seek to take every thought captive to him because, have you noticed, maybe like me, that most of the battles are won where or lost where? Up here. And it's why every thought has to be taken captive and that my mind is not conformed to the pattern of this world. That's why God says we have to renew our mind. What is renewing? Renewing is an active step. When's the last time you renewed anything passively? You don't. If you're passive about your library books that are overdue, you get fines. I know from personal experience. Back in the day, you guys remember some of you who are young, you're under 20, you're going to think that we're old, what we're about to say. But back in the day, there used to not be movies on demand. <laughs> if we wanted a movie, we went to this store called Blockbuster. And you would pray on the way. Your spiritual life would be so strong as you were praying that they would still have copies. 
that you would find all, you guys remember it, the new releases? There'd be a wall of 80, and you would just be flipping every one of them, hoping that your VHS tape was there, that there was still one copy. And I know some of you guys that are younger in the room, you just think we are antiques. We are old and just like, it's just the way the world was, though. But what happens is you would rent a physical copy of a movie, and you got it for one night. And if you kept it more than one night and didn't renew it, you got a fine. And you had to pay extra money. But to renew it or to not incur a fine, what did you do? You had to do something active. You had to get in your car. You had to drive to the Blockbuster. You had to be kind and rewind and take back... And take back that copy of Titanic that was two VHS tapes. And what God is saying is that every thought and action in my life, it must be run through that gauntlet. Am I going to allow God to renew that? And am I going to be active in allowing God to renew that? Or am I going to be passive and conformed to the world? So you and I have a choice. It's either my way or it's God's way. It's... God's path or my path? And what do we know about those paths? Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, If we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our understanding and all our ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Then when we submit to Him, He will be the one that leads our path. And so worship not only yields direction, but you see this here in your notes, worship also affirms how much better God's plans are opposed to my plans. Worship affirms how much better God's plans are opposed to my plans. Do you guys want to let you, I'm going to, pull behind, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit and let you know one of the questions that we get asked most frequently as pastors. In fact, if I were doing a tally mark of my almost now 15 plus years in pastoral ministry, and prior to that I was serving in college ministry, and I can unequivocally say that most of the questions that I get asked fall into kind of one category. And the questions are varied and they're different. But in essence, what the question tends to sound like is, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? It's, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know how to handle this difficult situation? How do I know if that's who God wants me to marry? How do I know if I should start a new business? How do I know if I should fill in the blank? And the reality is I ask those questions to myself a lot. But the amazing thing is the answer to those questions that you and I are searching, the answers really aren't elusive. We tend to think that they are. And we tend to think that there's some unknown realm where I just never can ever get any clarity or any answers on anything that I want to do. But I promise you, and these are, again, Jesus' words through the Scripture, not mine. If you live a life of worship, if you renew your mind, what it says in Romans 12, too, is then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So there's a lot more at stake than me just not singing songs if I choose to not live a life of worship. If I choose to not live a life and being a lead worshiper, then it's possible that I might kind of remain in the dark on some of the things that God is wanting to do in my life. And I know that that's not what any of us want. We want the plans, don't we? We want to be revealed with clarity what it is that God desires for us to do. And what can we know about God's plans? What do we see about God's plans? We see in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
Because as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's why worship is so important because God's ways are bigger than ours. And God's plans are bigger than ours. And if I don't live a life of worship Monday through Saturday, then I'm choosing not to engage in worshiping the one who has changed everything. And worship and music and singing that we do in this place and the word of God is of the utmost importance. But this is chapter one that leads you to whatever chapter two is when you walk out of these doors here in this moment. So as I seek to live a life of worship, may I go with this knowledge that his plans can be trusted more than mine, that his desire and will for my life is better than mine. I believe and know that there's truth and power in what's happening in this place today through God's word. And it's a power that can radically change the trajectory of your life. And we're going to worship some more here in just a second through song and expression of worship. But don't think that worship is over once the clock strikes 12 o'clock today. Don't think that worship is over and I look forward to worship next week when we're done in this place today. Oh, my friends, worship is not over. We're going to sing a couple more songs in just a minute because that seems like the right thing to do on a worship Sunday. And we want you to sing big and we want you to praise and we want you to reflect upon who he is. But know that when you walk out of these doors this morning, you're just getting warmed up. The songs that you're going to sing here in a little bit, they're just getting your vocal cords ready for what worship looks like in this next few minutes, in these next few hours. You're just getting your heart and your mind prepared for what it means to worship in the days ahead in this week. So I encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, and let's prepare our hearts for that. Prepare our hearts for what it is that God wants to do, and let's raise our voices And let's sing and let's reflect and let's ask for forgiveness if there's things in our life that are not of him. Or maybe there's something that we've contributed to that we're not proud of and we want God to um, meet us in that moment. Or maybe you're just needing some clarity and some direction and you're needing to know that he has a plan and that he has a will. And maybe just maybe through a moment of worship, God would show you that his plan is better than your plan and that that plan can be trusted. And so, God, we pray that you would receive this praise this morning, that it would not only be our voices, but that it would be our lives, and that we would raise our voices and that we would raise our lives as a testament to you because of what you have done. And as we go through storms, as we go through difficult seasons, as we have things that we're celebrating today, God, I pray that our heart And our lifestyle of worship would grow more and more pronounced with each passing day. Thank you for what you have done for us. And because of your great mercy, God, we sing out. Because of your love, we seek to go love others. And because of your grace, we seek to reflect upon the mercy that's been shown to us that we so do not deserve. So thank you again, God, for meeting us here in this place. We pray that you would continue to do something in our hearts and in our lives and in this place that can only be described by you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.